Welcome aboard Flight 1969, service to Jet Nation Radio. Look at what a leader this guy is. Bolt is fighting for his job this year. This is what quarterbacks are made of. Doug Middleton, get a 50-yard onside kick. How stupid can you possibly be making that much money? Folks, grab a snack. Let's go to eat a goddamn snack. And join Joe Blewett and Glenn Naughton for Jet Nation Radio. Jets fans, I am Glenn Naughton. Joe Blewett will not be with us tonight. We are trying to get together on a show for this weekend. More to come on that in the future. And boy, do we have a lot to cover this evening. What a what a what a crazy crazy couple of days it's been for the Jets and their fans. Keeping up with who's coming, who's going, who's ignoring, who's uh, who wants to who wants to take the Jets' money and who doesn't. It's been a, a bizarre couple of days with some more good than bad, but a couple of head scratchers. So we're going to go over all of that tonight and more. We are also expected to be joined at some point during the show by Eric Galco of Optimum Scouting and Sports Illustrated. Eric was uh, kind enough to join us leading up to the draft last year and was uh, more than willing to do it again this year. Great insight, great evaluator. Highly recommended follow on Twitter at Optimum Scouting. So again, we will bring him on to talk a little bit of draft once he gets a minute to call in. And <clears throat> let's just get right to it. I mean, look, we got the, there's a lot of news and finally something something real to talk about after weeks and weeks of speculation and who's going to go where and and uh, and you know, listen, there's Kirk Cousins. Okay, let's get this out of the way right right away. If you listen to this show, you know that I've been a huge, huge proponent of bringing Kirk Cousins in, wanted him in green and white, was willing to pay whatever it was going to cost to get him. Reports out there that the Jets did offer more than what the Minnesota Vikings did. But as expected, he went to the Vikings. Um, And if you listen to the show, again, if you heard when we had Kimberly Martin on, who writes for the Redskins now and used to write for the Jets, um, I – 100% 100% agreed with her and said, look, I, I think he's going to the Vikings. I don't want him to go to the Vikings, but I think he's, you look at where the guy, you know, born and raised in a small town, raising a family. A lot of times people want to be in a familiar environment. Maybe he doesn't want the hustle and bustle and the chaos of, of New York City. Takes his family to Minnesota, you know, for a split second, you go, damn it. And then you move on because, listen, this is an off season unlike any other. Guys like her cousins don't become available every day. But at the same time, how often do you sit at number six in the draft with a chance of drafting a franchise quarterback? That doesn't have it. You look at the last three, four, five drafts, there's one or two big ticket guys, and teams are giving up, you know, whatever they have to give up to move up a couple spots to get the guy they want, which is what the Jets may end up doing. They probably should do, to be honest. But let's, you know, we'll get into that more a little bit later. But uh, things could be a lot worse in terms of their draft position. And, again, Kirk Cousins went to Minnesota. More power to him. The Jets will see him this year. Uh, The Jets will see uh, another face, uh, Muhammad Wilkerson, 
uh, st- you know, staying on the topic of uh, who, what teams they'll be uh, or what, what faces the Jets will be seeing this year. Of course, Mo Wilkerson signs with the Green Bay Packers. He had to go. That was, you know, we're not we, we've beaten that horse to death. He may rejuvenate himself, you know, revive his career in Green Bay. He may return to form and pick, you know, he may get 15 sacks this year. But don't tell me that the Jets didn't need to let him go. He was mailing it in in New York. He was done. Uh, is he going to be motivated by money once again because he wants another big payday? Quite possibly. That's enough of Mo Wilkerson. So Kirk Cousins moves on. Kirk Cousins goes to goes to Minnesota from from Washington. The Jets are left in a position where they, they have to make a move for a quarterback. There's been rumors all off season. I mean, not even rumors. Josh McCown has come out and said he wants to return. The Jets have said they're interested in his services. I think a lot of us knew that Josh McCown's return was going to depend on Kirk Cousins. If he came in, there'd be no need for Josh McCown. But, uh, but news breaks that Teddy Bridgewater, former Minnesota Viking, bouncing back from a you know, serious leg injury that at the time I, I recall reading that team doctors were considering the possibility of having to amputate his leg um, when they saw how bad his injury was on the field in a, a freak practice accident a couple of years ago. As it turns out, injury's terrible. No need to, to, to remove the leg. Bridgewater takes almost a year and a half to get back on the field. Um, or to be activated, I should say. But uh, around week 8, 9, 10, somewhere in there this season, the Vikings activate him. He comes in to throw a p- couple passes in one game late in the season. So just to uh, kind of get his feet wet, get get back on the field, but didn't really see much of him. Who knows what this could become, guys? You know, you give Teddy Bridgewater a one-year deal, which I completely understand. It probably benefits both sides. I saw numbers getting thrown around earlier that he was uh, – he got $15 million. That's an inflated number. He got five, at least from uh, you know all of the reports that have come out since. Teddy Bridgewater, $5 million, can earn up to 15. So that's what we're talking about. Does he win a starting job? Does he win X amount of games? Do they make the playoffs? This, that, and the other. So at the, at the moment, he's probably looking at $5 million base salary and an opportunity to earn more. Um, I, I, don't, I don't see how you, don't, how you could not like the move. He's, again, young guy, 24, 25 years old. He's got uh, one of the most accurate arms in the NFL. Not the strongest arm, but strong enough. He's got an NFL arm. He's got good mobility. You know, I was watching some, some uh, old games on him today just to kind of refresh myself and, you know, hadn't seen him play in a while. And he's, uh, you know, he is a pocket passer, don't get me wrong, but he does move move around in inside and outside of the pocket better than I recalled. So, uh, obviously, how much that's going to be affected by the knee injury remains to be seen, but this is an accurate quarterback who can dissect the defense, and uh, he's going to be a mid-high 60% completion guy. So it's a good move. But then within, I don't know, 10 minutes or so of us, you know, on Jet Nation, we saw the tweet that the Jets are working out a deal. We post a bl- uh, we put up a little blog post for the, for our followers, and within minutes we hear that Josh McCown is coming back. And you start to think, did the Bridgewater thing fall through? Because I just read 10 minutes ago that they're hammering out a deal with Bridgewater. And now this deal is saying the McCown deal is done. And then you don't hear anything for a couple of hours. And, I mean, this is free agency, folks. This stuff's moving fast. Guys are, you hear this guy signing here, this guy signing there. And this this stuff just flows out. And you just, it's just keep up with who's going where. 
But the Bridgewater thing comes out, they're, they're hammering out a deal. Then the McCown thing comes out, then nothing on Bridgewater for a couple of hours. You start to wonder if, you know, even if it was an hour, it felt like a couple. But you start thinking, oh, did the Bridgewater thing fall through? A couple, I see a couple of tweets that may have been Josine Anderson, I forget. You know, correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe it was Josine Anderson saying Teddy Bridgewater was reconsidering. He had more options. So you think, okay, well, that must have fallen through because McCown. And then both stories hit again. But official Jets still interest. First you see that the Jets still want both, and you wonder if that's legitimate. And then you hear that they're, they've hammered out a deal with Teddy Bridgewater. And now you've got two veteran quarterbacks on a team that is fully expected to take a quarterback with their first pick in the draft this year. And you immediately think of the disastrous Christian Hackenberg season of a couple of years ago when he was a rookie and he was stuck behind a couple of veterans and he was basically a bump on a log. The guy, you know, from all reports, from from uh, some of the coaches that were there, Chan Gailey even said at the time that something something along the lines of not having the time to work in a third quarterback in the, uh, the, ro- the rotation and practice every week. So basically a casual observer, and you just think, man, you can't do that, can you? You can't, you can't draft a, a Baker Mayfield or a, a, you know, Josh Allen, God forbid, you know, Sam Darnold, Josh Rosen, any of these guys. You can't, you can't really afford to take one of these guys with two vets in front of them. Um, so there's a little bit of worry there, a little bit of concern. Saw some beat writers tweeting about it. Saw some other bloggers tweeting about it. I know, as I said, the thought crossed my mind. So everyone kind of, everyone's a little bit jittery. You know, what's going on? Why did they sign two vets? They they still have to draft the guy. And one one an interesting thing to me is going to be to see how these contracts are laid out, how how they're how these contracts are written up. Is this a situation where the Jets can take a quarterback at six or earlier? It, should they trade up? Are they going to be able to take a guy and then recoup the money that they would have paid to either Bridgewater or McCown if they let them go? Um, let's let's say you trade up and you let's say you get Josh Rosen at three or something like that, and Josh Rosen is lights out in camp or even good. If Josh Rosen just looks good in camp, you, you've got to have him. Worst case scenario has to be he's the number two until the number one falters or the team you know hits a three or four game losing streak. Then you go to Rosen and you don't look back or whoever and you don't look back. So again, we we have to see how these contracts are are drawn up and how the money is distributed and, and when, you know, when at what point money becomes guaranteed and how the Jets will maneuver from there because they cannot, the team cannot have two veteran quarterbacks in front of a rookie again, um, forcing a rookie into no action. We don't need another redshirt season for a rookie quarterback. That's just not, it's not an option. At least it shouldn't be at six. But um, if they do, you know, someone made a good point to me earlier. And, again, you kind of – you rack your brain and you try to figure out where exactly the team is heading with these decisions. Does this increase the possibility of a guy like Josh Allen where the consensus is that, look, this guy needs a year. This guy needs at least a year to sit and watch. I know it's not what Jets fans want to hear, but are the Jets putting themselves in a position where they want two veterans – because they're willing to sit a rookie for another year. Um, again, it's not what we want to hear, but it's just a matter of trying to figure out what their thinking is. Because even if you are sitting a guy, you got to get him some reps. And maybe that's the plan. Maybe they feel like Josh McCown, 
uh, is a you know a strong enough veteran, a, a pro. Because let's face it, if Josh McCown and Teddy Bridgewater have a you know have a fair competition in camp, there's I fully expect Teddy Bridgewater to win that competition. He, again, he's the younger guy. Um, he can do more things in terms of well, again, assuming the knee is uh, hasn't hasn't slowed him too much. He's going to have better mobility. And I, you know, McCown is a 38 year old. Why not? Why not let Bridgewater play? Um, he can either play well and you extend him. But, and, and, and don't don't discount the possibility of the Jets looking at Teddy Bridgewater as a guy that maybe he wins that starting job and maybe he plays well enough over the first five or six games that the Jets view him as a trade chip. Hey, you know, we say it all the time, QBs are currency. Do you move Teddy Bridgewater week six and then, you know, get yourself a third-round pick and then, then you, you know, you go to the rookie. You go to McCown again. A lot of variables. You know, what's the team's record at that point? How's the quarterback playing at that point? How's the team playing at that point? So, just just trying to just trying to think of all the different scenarios, all the possibilities, what the organization could be thinking. Because what, what they what you hope they're not thinking is no matter who we draft, they're sitting for a year. So let's get two veterans. You want to sit Josh Allen for a year? I mean, first of all, at this point, I don't know that I want the guy. If you get him and you're going to sit, he's, he's the one guy I look at and say, okay, well, if you end up taking that guy, you sit him for a year. But you, you're not sitting Baker Mayfield for a year. You're not sitting jo- Josh Rosen for a year. Or at least you shouldn't be. Those guys with what they've done in college, with their resumes, and you know with, what they're going to cost in draft capital, you, you can't sit them. They've they got to be ready to go. So, anyway, that, that, that covers the, uh, th- those two signings. Teddy Bridgewater, Josh McCown under contract, what it means for Hackenberg and Petty, who knows. Again, it's going to depend on what happens in the draft. I don't. I fully expect at least one, if not both of those guys, to be gone. I'd love to see them get a seventh-round pick for Petty. I know there was talk before the season started that McCagnan had some offers on the table last year for Bryce Petty, uh, but he didn't pull the trigger, unfortunately. So that's that. That's the QB depth chart. And then uh, not long after that deal goes through, we hear about another deal that it's you know me and Joe are going to talk about it. We're not going to beat it to death. Um, it's it's something that it's sort of a it'll be a divisive topic for some for some people, and that's not what this show is about. I don't want it to be twenty, thirty, forty minute rants on political stuff. But uh, from a pure football standpoint, Isaiah Crowell, great signing. You know, good back, powerful back, good explosion, makes you pay good hands out of the backfield, does a lot of things well. Um, the downside is you worry about his character. Um, why do you worry about his character? Well, he was kicked off his team in college for possession of a firearm on campus. And then last year, or a, year, a couple years ago, he made headlines by posting to his Twitter account a, a violent image, cartoon image, of a police officer having his throat sla- uh, slashed by a masked man. And I think... Uh, for a lot of people, that's that's a bit too far. I know that I saw some some responses on Twitter from Jets fans that were not one bit happy with the organization for signing a guy who endorsed murder. And you know, people keep saying you know he endorsed murder of police officers. Which is, how about just murder full stop? How about we don't endorse murder of anyone? Is it worse that you're making it of a you know someone whose job it is, you know, to to uh, protect and serve, as we say? It, fine, I'll, I'll give you that, but. But that that really should be irrelevant. Um, you're condoning murder. I'm 
I, that, I, I have a hard time with that, but that's enough of that. From a football standpoint, excellent move. Um, from a PR or, you know, trying to, trying to repair your locker room and rebuild a culture, I don't, I don't see how that's the guy you want to bring in. But that's enough of him because following that signing was probably, not probably, was easily the, the biggest signing of the day the most important and the one that, you know, that it had to happen. There had to be at least one body in this spot of a high caliber. And uh, we see Tremaine Johnson come in from the Los Angeles Rams to play corner. He will be the, the cornerback, you know, the number one cornerback on this team. And what a, what a breath of fresh air that was. Because, let's face it, the Jets are hurting at corner. Cupboard is bare, as they say. Buster Screen is under contract. Um, he's not as bad as fans make him out to be, but he's still not as he's still not good enough to be your number one guy, um, or a guy that you just you, he's not somebody you can lean on. Because one week he'll be all right, and then the next week he'll be a complete disaster and he'll draw three PI flags. So Buster Screen's inconsistency makes him a a liability. And as I've said during you know several times during the off season. Um, something I thought I would never say is that we might see him hang around um, because of his salary and because because of the lack of depth at that position. And if the Jets are going to let him go, they're going to have to bring in more bodies. Well, Tremaine Johnson's one. If they bring in some more, Buster Screen could be on the way out. But as it stands right now, it would be uh, <clears throat> it would be a pretty premature to let him go. So Tremaine Johnson comes in, great press corner, uh, not old, twenty eight. I believe is the number I saw. I know he's 27, 28, up there a little bit. It's a five-year deal, $15 million a year, and I believe $36 million guaranteed. I don't have it in front of me. But uh, either way, it's a lot of money, $11 million in injury uh, liability, I believe. But either way, big, big-bodied, long, 6'2", press corner, not big-bodied in you know, width, but just these you know, tall, long guys, what I meant to say, 6'2", uh, excellent press cover corner, which is exactly what this team needs. He was franchised each of the last two years with the Rams, so we know what they think of him. Uh, you know, they let him go because they uh, they were able to get you know some a couple of other high end corners. And I think I think when you franchise a guy a couple times and he doesn't go long term, I think it leaves a bad taste and and uh, and leads to a bitter breakup. So Tremaine Johnson moves on, comes to the Jets. We've said it many times. This team, as much as I do everything I can to, to give Mike McCagnan the benefit of the doubt. This team is, is lacking at the, the critical skill positions, quarterback, corner, tackle, edge. There's nothing there. Uh, closest thing they have to a quality player at any of those positions is Kelvin Beecham, and that's what he is. He's a quality player. He's not great, but the, the, there needed to be upgrades at quarterback. There needed to be upgrades at tackle. Oh, I'm sorry, at uh, at corner. And, uh, while I don't believe Teddy Bridgewater is, I mean, there's always the chance, but I don't believe the Jets view him as their long-term guy now. They'll give him a chance to prove that he can be. But as of right now, quarterback is upgraded, but they don't have, a, they don't have their guy, so to speak. Uh, Tremaine Johnson, on the other hand, gives them a bona fide number one corner. That, that position is now set. It gives them the opportunity now to go out and sign someone to be the number two. We'll talk about Mo Claiborne in a minute. Uh, once we go over a couple more signings, again, Johnson represents the uh, bona fide star, bona fide starter at a key spot, something this team was lacking. 
The next signing was a bittersweet one, inside linebacker Avery Williams, formerly of the uh, Tennessee Titans, and uh, very good player by all accounts. I was able to watch a little bit of film on him today, not much at all. So many players signing, so much going on that, you know, unfortunately not as much time as I would like to go through uh, all of the players. That will happen in the coming weeks. But from what I saw of Avery, uh, Avery Williamson, big hitter, uh, strong guy up front, coverage skills. Not, I mean, let's face it, Demario Davis, which is the you know the part of this move that, that makes it bittersweet. Demario Davis moves on. He wasn't a great cover guy, but uh, but he had a hell of a year for the Jets last year. They if if the Jets can get out of Avery Williamson, what they just got out of Demario Davis, I think they'll be they'll be pretty happy with themselves. Uh, he's four years younger than Demario Davis. Demario Davis moves on, and uh, he, he basically, from, from the reports I saw, he priced himself out. The Jets thought he was worth $4 million a year. He wanted 9 to $10 million a year. And I think I saw earlier today he signed for $8 million a year somewhere. I, I don't even remember where it was. But you, you hate to see Demario Davis go. You know, drafted by the Jets, sent to Cleveland, comes back after a year, and really in a new role, a new position, um, playing that strong inside instead of the weak inside, which he did previously, Completely different player, more time around the line of scrimmage. Um, stops at, you know, within a couple yards of the line. He just had a monster year. You knew he was going to get a pay raise. I was really surprised by this. I really thought both sides would. I thought they'd meet at the $7 million mark, um, somewhere in there, 7 maybe 8 But uh, to hear the Jets were offering 3 or 4 I felt like they were coming in too low. And to hear that Demario Davis was asking for 9 or 10 I felt like he was coming in too high. And that that's a big gap. That's when you're when – you're Four, you know, four million, five million apart per year in negotiations. That's a that's a lot of ground to make up. Obviously, it didn't get make up. They go with Williamson, who's the younger guy, four years younger. Uh, I want to say he was. I took a peek at his PFF numbers earlier. I want to say he was rated eighty-five point two. Um, really, just a few spots behind the Mario Davis. So you get younger, theoretically, not a big drop off, and you get the guy three or four million dollars less per year than what Demario Davis was asking. So, really, you, you, you can't knock this move. It sucks because everyone likes Demario Davis, wanted to see him hang around. But sometimes, you know, you got to put that stuff aside, look at the business side of it, and the move itself, uh, it, it makes a lot of sense. So that wrapped up yesterday. Williamson was the last signing late in the day. Then today, I know for me personally, my thought, my thought process was, if you can get a center and a cornerback today, you know, another corner, quality corner, then I, I wouldn't mind if the Jets put their feet up for a couple weeks and just let things play out and then go for some bargain guys. And um, they did get the center. They signed Spencer Long, uh, formerly of the Washington Redskins. Now, they wanted Weston Richburg. At least there was some rumored interest early on. And his his asking price reportedly scared the Jets off a little bit. And there was there's also a belief that Richburg didn't want to come to the Jets. And that, that was something that died out quickly. Um, early on, you know, the first day and a half when when nobody was coming in and nobody was signing, or, you know, of course when I say signing, I mean agreeing. I understand they couldn't sign until today. But when nobody was agreeing to terms, everyone was starting to say, oh, Jets are a disaster. Nobody's going to want their money. Nobody wants to come there. Um, you know, Richburg, again, bolted for San Francisco. Me personally, for, when when I watched what, you know, what, what bit of film on Western Richburg I was able to, you know, I was able to make time for. Looked like a mobile, agile guy, you know, somebody you'd want for his own offense. And I tweeted out a week or two ago 
that as much as I've been a, a fan of bringing in Jensen from Baltimore, Ryan Jensen, that I said, I you know, looking at it now, my concern was I felt like Richburg was the better player. Um, but the concussions worried me. You know, concussions are one thing. This guy missed 12 games uh, due to concussions last year. That's a lot of games. Who's to say this guy doesn't go out? And I hope, yeah, I hope the guy never misses another game in his life. But who's to say this guy doesn't go out for the opener and uh, and get take another shot to the head and, and he's out for another 8, 9, 10, 11 weeks. So you basically just signed a guy who's who may play less than half a season. I mean, concussions are a scary thing, man. You can't mess with them. Guys don't play with them like they used to. So that, you know, they really would have been exposing themselves. You're exposing yourself to some risk when you sign a guy who's coming off the season which, where he missed 12 games. So anyway, Weston Richburg, he bolts. Then they're looking at Jensen. And, I, you know, and this is the tweet I sent out, you know, I, I, I mentioned Jensen kind of around mid-late season as a guy that Jets should target while we were watching Wesley Johnson fall apart every week. But the more I watch Jensen, I'm, it, you just, I, I, me personally, I was looking at him thinking that this guy, this is a power guy, this is a man guy. Uh, if the Jets are going to his own scheme, which is what you know what we all expect at this point, then I don't know how you bring in a guy like Jensen. I mean, not that he couldn't do it, but not his strong suit. You're not playing to his strengths. So the Jets end up going up, going and uh, going out and getting Spencer Long, who I'm not going to lie to you, he was he wasn't even on my radar. Uh, he's not even a guy I was looking at. Um, I looked at a lot of Jensen. I looked at a lot of Richburg. I looked at uh, Swanson a little bit from Detroit because I saw the rumor that he was coming, or that the Jets were going to go after him. I'll tell you what, I watched a couple of his games, and I just, I, I just thought this guy isn't an upgrade over Wesley Johnson. This guy isn't. I mean, if if he is, it's slight. You know, I watched a couple of games, and I thought, and, and you know, you know, we try not to go over the top with PFF, but let's face it, they are a valuable resource. Um, you know, they have the bodies, they have the people to to look at these, these, these players, and even if their grades are off, if you want to say they're wrong, they're going to give you, as we always say, the general guide. You know, if one player is rated insanely higher than another, it's safe to say the guy with the much higher grade is the better player. Um, so Swanson versus uh, Wesley Johnson, I think they were separated by six or seven slots. Like, they were both basically really bad, just that Wesley Johnson was the worst center in the NFL, so anybody was going to be an upgrade. But uh, Swanson was not going to be much of an upgrade. So glad that didn't happen. Uh, like I said, one of, one of my uh, followers on Twitter, can't remember who it is, when I shot a couple tweets out about the centers, actually replied back and said, what about Spencer Long? And I thought, oh, that's the name rang a bell. Looked him up and thought, okay, Washington. And uh, watched just, literally just a few minutes but came away thinking, okay, this guy is more suited as his own guy than Jensen. So while Jensen may be the better player, he may get the bigger contract. Um, for what the Jets are trying to do, Long was the better fit. So that's a good move there. So now what you've done, what the Jets have done, um, they've got themselves a couple viable vets at quarterback. They've gotten themselves a, a power, you know, a power back. Now you know he's not that 230, 240 pound guy, but Crowell, from what I've seen, the guy packs a punch. You've t- you've you've locked down a, a, a number one corner. You're not losing a step at inside linebacker, which is big because really, for the year that Mario Davis had, you hoped he would come back, and if you figured if he lost him, you probably wouldn't do as well. But it looks like the Jets did, and then of course Spencer Long. So what does this do? What does this mean? Um, it's a bunch of new faces, and a lot of fans are, you know, a lot of fan. We're all keeping up on this minute to minute, really, through Twitter to you know to see who's coming in, who who fits, who doesn't. And, and, and where is this all going? And 
the, the signing that jumps out to me is the is the Isaiah Crowell. And the reason being, you know, we, we hear all the time about how running backs are so they're they're easy to replace. You can get a guy in any round in the draft. And this is a this is let's face it, this is a deep draft. There's a lot of backs in this draft. You can probably get a good back I would say you can get a really good back in round three or four and probably beyond I mean every year you see guys fourth, fifth, sixth round that play really well. But just looking at you know, you're probably projecting at this at this moment seven or eight guys who can start from day one, a lot of them who are multi dimensional, um and, and a lot of different tools. You got some power guys, you got some speed guys, you got some guys who can do a little bit of everything. And I really you know, carry on Johnson, he's a guy that I really like. Um and actually speaking of carry on Johnson um, as a possible draft uh, draft target, we do have a call. I believe this may, this may be Mr. Galco, so let me bring him on. Hang on just one second. Hi, this is Glenn. Is this Eric Galco? This is Eric. Eric, thank you so much for joining us. I appreciate your time. I was um, just sitting here going over the uh, the Jets free agent signings, and you called in as I was covering the Isaiah Crowell uh the Isaiah Crowell move, which I, I kind of viewed as a possible signal because with this being such a deep draft class, wondering if the Jets are plugging some of these holes, realizing that they're going to have to use some of these picks to move up in round one. So we'll, we'll get to that in a little bit. Um, first and foremost, um, for those of you listening, uh, one of the reasons I wanted to have Eric on is because uh, here in the, uh, I'm assuming, near future, uh, Eric's going to be putting out a a, a draft guide, optimum scouting draft guide. I first became familiar with it last year when I started following Eric on uh, on Twitter, and I ordered the guide the day it came out, and and man, I loved it. I was talking about it on the air. Joe and I talked about it. We both got it. This is a uh, this isn't a kickback thing. I just I'm just plugging a product I believe in, because for those of you that love the draft like I do, um, but may not have as much information on the players as you'd like. These are these are pro style scouting reports. They go in depth. They cover every tool of every player, or you know, damn near every player. So, um, highly recommended. Um, Eric, w- when when are you projecting that coming out, Eric? And uh, and how how long have you guys been putting the draft guide out? Yeah, I appreciate it, man. Good to talk to you, man. It's been uh, it's been a little while, but always fun talking uh, talking NFL and draft, and especially the Jets here. I know what they may do. Our pleasure, um, man. Thanks so guide, much. Yeah, draft guide's been around. This is. You know, now I think they're they're so in vogue, right? Everybody who wants to be Mel Kiper wants to buy a draft guide, and, and we start doing it. Um, this is our eighth year now with the, with the formal NFL draft guide. It was there were only one or two people doing it, and it wasn't like we were first. It was because you know one of Optimal Scouting's big premises is that hey, we work with professional clients throughout the industry, um, so we're doing this work anyways. And the draft guide was intended to be hey, the one time a year we get to look inside of what an NFL style scouting department does. Um, you know, I think like now there's a lot of draft guides out there, and, and people I'm sure do great work. I don't get a chance to read a lot of them, but you know, I believe in what we do. And like I said, more importantly, my business plan has always been: hey, if NFL teams are reading it, uh, if major agencies are reading it, if players themselves are reading it, then you as a fan better get in there and see what the heck's going on. So that's the draft guide. It, it will be done. Um, it's, reports are basically done. Um, right now, we have some client work that we're working on off internet. That's kind of keep me behind a little bit, but we're excited. It's all done. It looks outstanding. So much good. Not just you know, scouting reports, but really analytics and NFL teams have loved in recent years and as in-depth as we've ever been. So I would say probably sometime next week uh, we're expecting a release, and we're excited to show the public kind of what we've worked on. 
that that's fantastic. I hope some of our listeners get into it. We will uh, we'll be sure to plug it once again when it comes out. Shoot out a tweet to our site. I know I'll be picking it up. But um, getting getting into the players, uh, I'm sure that it, you know a person in your position probably um, probably talk about quarterbacks till you're blue in the face. But let's face it, it's the uh, it's it's the money position, it's the sexy position, and uh, I've heard you talk about it as well. And actually, another quick plug: I know for me personally, um, between this show, writing for Jet Nation, and living real life, I don't I personally don't have a ton of time for extra stuff. But when I do get a little bit of time, um, Eric's also got a podcast, Scanning the Field. Definitely recommend you check it out, especially, you know, again, for those of you that are really into the draft. You get some great guests, some great insight, and, uh, you know, uh, senior bowl reviews and, and uh, just uh, East-West Shrine game reviews and just a lot of great info there. So check that out, too, if you get a chance. But uh, so the quarterbacks. Um, yeah. The, you know, there's the four, big, four or five big names that everybody's talking about. I've heard your opinions on a lot of these guys, but maybe some of those listening haven't. Um, just right off the bat, where where do you rank them? You know, you're one through four, one through five. Um, and what do you think uh, the New York Jets sitting at number six, even having added Teddy Bridgewater? Uh, that's obviously he's not a long-term solution, not at this point anyway. Um, yeah. Where do you where do you see them going? Who, who do you think they would go for, and, and who do you think is a fit for them? Yeah, I'll keep this kind of kind of tailored towards the Jets, but you know Sam Donald's the best quarterback in this draft class. I, I feel very confident in that. And again, who knows what's going to happen in a few years, but um, and, and how situations play out. And if Sam Donald ends up going to Cleveland Browns, like I expect, you know, I'm not going to say I'm going to bet on him being an All-Pro like his potential dictates based on the Browns' history. But he's the best quarterback in this class. And I think despite his struggle this year, um, he's going to get a lot better very quickly. Uh, every other quarterback in this class, in my opinion, um, has some sort of deficiency, clear deficiency, and or uh, character background issue. That's a worrisome for teams, and this is the highest risk-reward quarterback class I can remember in the last 10, 15 years. Uh, and what I mean by that is that of the top four quarterbacks that are going to go in the top you know, top 10, top 12 picks, Sam Darnold, Josh Rosen, Josh Allen, Baker Mayfield, all four of those guys, plus guys like Mason Rudolph and Mike White and Lamar Jackson and Kyle Letta, at least four or five of those guys, top 10 quarterbacks in the league. That's the kind of talent they have. But if you told me any one of those quarterbacks was out of the league in three years, I wouldn't be surprised either. And that's kind of the risk award of this draft class is because teams want these guys because of the upside, but they're terrified to make the wrong choice. I think for the Jets, they're in a situation where, you know, I think a few months ago, weeks ago even, they felt that, hey, they can just sit back at six, get the guy they want, and not move up in the draft. Now I'd be surprised if quarterbacks didn't go – one, two, three overall, and maybe one, two, three, four overall, four straight quarterbacks because demand drives up value. And you see a lot of teams now that are looking at the Eagles and the Rams and the Chiefs saying, hey, they have cheap quarterbacks because of rookie deals. They can go spend in free agent and try to, try to win right now like the Eagles just did with Carson Wentz and Nick Foles like the Rams want to do with Jared Goff, like the Chiefs feel confident they can do with Pat Mahomes. So that's why we'll see a lot of teams trending up. So I think for the Jets, if they're hoping to sit at six, and get a quarterback, one of the top four guys, they're going to be sadly mistaken. I think it's a move up in the draft, too. And who they end up taking, I would say the odds-on favorite is to be Baker Mayfield at six or moving up to three or four. Uh, but, you know, if they can get Josh Rosen, it's hard to pass on that. And, and last but not least, the Bridgewater signing, I think it's really a no-win situation for the Jets. And I think it was, you know, I love Teddy Bridgewater. I think he's going to be fine if he's healthy. Um, but it's a new offense for a quarterback that hasn't got meaningful snaps in two years. 
and he's on a one-year deal that he's getting overpaid for that one year. If he plays well, the Jets probably don't want to re-sign him long-term because their cap, it might not be worth it if they can't win this year. Um, if he plays well enough and they go 8-8, eight and eight, he might not want to re-sign him in New York if he has to. And if he goes poorly, then they just spent $15 million for no reason. So I think the Jets are absolutely taking a quarterback early in the draft, and they shouldn't expect much from Teddy Bridgewater despite his awesome talent. Yeah, I, I talked about that earlier. I think uh, the number I saw was that he, uh, with incentives, he can earn up to 15, but it sounds like the base is going to be around five. So I think we're going to have to wait and see what the exact numbers are. I think uh, I think 15, and I, I mean, to, to bring in McCown and Bridgewater, spend 25 million on those two guys, that would be a bit of overkill. So hopefully, it's closer to five than 15. But um, I know the Jets were Baker Mayfield's pro day today. He's the guy, you know, for me anyway, at the moment, <clears throat> I, I can't see them. As you said, I think I think we'll see quarterbacks go one, two, three, four. I think the Buffalo Bills, you know, obviously they're trying to move up. Um, you know, one, one dynamic that could really hurt the Jets is that if you're the New York Giants, and, I mean, when, when, when we started hearing that they might pass on a quarterback, I thought it was a total smokescreen. But now that seems like a legitimate thing. And if if the Giants are gonna are gonna move down, do they want to run the risk of swapping with the Jets and maybe the Jets get the next great quarterback in New York and the Giants get looked at for being idiots for get, for giving them that opportunity? So that's a great they, they, they may not even be an there, option. Right to bring Sorry, that up there too. I think the, yeah, the Giants at two is where the quarterback interest starts. That's because the Giants, what I've been told, don't want to take a quarterback at two overall, but because. So many teams want a quarterback, and the Browns are taking a quarterback at one. That's over with. Teams that want a quarterback that are outside the top five aren't going to trade with the Browns. They know that. So the Giants, in all purposes, have the first pick in the draft in terms of trade. So if you're the Jets and you want any of these quarterbacks, you don't know who every other team wants. So even if you want Baker Mayfield, you've got to call the Giants and say, what do you want for the second overall pick? Because if you're not doing mm-hmm. that, you're not doing your job as a, as a head coach and yeah. as a GM. So. I think they, if the Jets want a quarterback in this draft, they've got to do everything they can to get the number two overall pick. But that's for Baker Mayfield, Josh Rosen, whoever they like, you know, we can criticize them for that. But if they, if they sit back and wait at six for a quarterback or if they wait till four, that means they were just too scared of this quarterback class to move up. So I think the Jets and the Bills and the Cardinals and the Ravens, if the price is right, are going to look to move up for a quarterback in this draft. And I think one thing, it, it, you know, we'll see how it plays out and who ends up where. But if the Jets do end up trading up to, you know, I, I kind of view, I, I agree. If they want the guy they want, it's got to be two. I view it as they've got to get no lower than three. You've got to get in that top three. I mean, you can live with four, but you certainly can't live with five or six. Or five, you can't sit, can't stand pat, can't go to five because you still could come away without a quarterback. Um, I, I don't think the Giants will trade to the Jets for the reason I mentioned, but I think. I think if you're the put it this way, if you're Mike McCagnan and you're looking at what the Buffalo Bills are doing, if that's not motivating you to get up to two or three, then there's a problem. Because you know, just as I mentioned, the Giants don't want to look bad for handing a quarterback to the Jets. Do you want to be the GM that was sitting at six and you allowed the Bills to come up from 21 and get ahead of you and get the guy you wanted? I mean, that 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 that's fireable offense right there, as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, what's really important for the Jets is finding a quarterback who's ready to win right now. And they have interest mm-hmm. in Josh Allen. I don't think Josh Allen is their quarterback of choice, if they had to choose. Um, and they may not want him in round one. And I've heard different things. I don't have a great feel for the draft board right now. I have a general sense of who they like and who they talk to. But 
I'm not as plugged in in New York um, as I am other places. But, you know, for the Jets, they can they, – their, their offense, their staff, their coaching staff, their GM staff, if they don't win seven games this year, they're fired. And it's very clear that that's what's going to happen, that they, if they don't win seven games or, or even get six and ten and they're fired, you've got to think about the Jets from that perspective. Okay, how do I prevent ourselves from going seven and nine? Or how do I keep our jobs? And I think the best way to do right. that is even with Bridgewater's contract – you've got to take a quarterback who can play right now. And the best-case scenario for the Jets is that Teddy Bridgewater never plays this year. That's the best-case scenario because yeah. your first-round quarterback has to play, and that's what they have to think of. That's what they are thinking. I, I'm confident in that Jets front office. I know some people there, and they're smart guys. They've just had a bad string of luck, and they've taken the wrong quarterbacks the last couple of years, but they know what matters, and, and they know that Teddy Bridgewater is the ultimate insurance policy, whether it's $15 million, whatever else. And look no further than the Chicago Bears a year ago, and people – ripped their decision to sign Mike Glennon to that big contract and then draft Mitch Trubisky and never play Mitch Trubisky and never play Mike Glennon. And that was by design because what they realized, Chicago, was that, hey, if we have a really bad year, we're all fired. So let's sign a quarterback with upside, let's draft a quarterback with upside, and whoever wins, we'll hope they win enough games we keep our jobs. And for Chicago, that worked for Ryan Pace. And I think for the Jets, they're going the same premise. Hey, if Bridgewater wins and he's the next, you know, Drew Brees beating out a, a first-round pick, cool. We're all going to keep our jobs, and we'll keep building from here. If, if the rookie comes in, Josh Rosen, Baker Mayfield may win, then cool, we're keeping our jobs too. So, you know, the, the Jets have to find a quarterback who can play right away. They are not a team like the Giants if they want a quarterback or the Broncos or whomever that can take a Josh Allen or even a Sam Donald at that point. They're looking at Josh Rosen or Baker Mayfield. I think Baker Mayfield, because of his creativity and similarities to Russell Wilson, who also had a similar situation back in 2012 with the Seahawks, that's why I think Baker is their guy uh, because he's ready to kind of take over in, in New York. But he arose in other two answers for the Jets. And, and again, training to two, whether it's the Giants rival, which you mentioned or not, I'm not sure how much that's going to factor into McCagnon's theory, but um, it's certainly important that they find a guy who can play right now. And if they don't, they're out of a job. And if, I think if you think of things from that perspective all the time in the NFL, you can uh, kind of predict things a little easier. Yeah, and I agree. I know that uh, when the Jets won a couple games this year around midseason – you know, and, and it was clear early on that they were gonna they weren't gonna have a great year, but they were gonna surpass expectations. I kind of made the point that you know, no, I don't care how many games they win this year, you're still winning them with Josh McCown. Your number one job is still to get a quarterback this off season. Um, as it turned, you know, that was when they were kind of hovering. We're getting close to 500. They cooled off. They tanked. You know, didn't tank, but they they played poorly enough down the stretch that they're in the top ten. But um, th- that is the consensus. You know, I, I saw people. Worrying yesterday, does this mean we're not going quarterback? No way. Signing Teddy Bridgewater to a one-year deal is is not a precursor to not taking a quarterback in the top ten. Um, that's that's not going to happen. But um, I will say my next this. question. Oh, yeah, wait, real quick, I will say this. I've heard that they haven't given up yet on Christian Hackenberg, and just keep that in mind. They're not totally done with him yet, or Bryce Petty. I'm not sure if they're both in the roster even now, but I know last time I checked in with the Jets. They still believe in those two quarterbacks. So if the, if the Buffalo Bills and the Arizona Cardinals and someone else moves up and all the top four quarterbacks are gone and the Jets don't make a move, I'm sure it'll frustrate Jack, or Jets fans, but that's probably why. I think the Jets and Mike McKagan, again, he, he wants to keep his job, but also wants to prove he wasn't wrong. And I, I don't think they've completely given up yet on Bryce Petty and or Christian Hackenberg. They like both those guys. In terms of what they could be, and, and I wouldn't be surprised if the Jets some find someone's way to, to mess this up and bank on one of those two guys being good. 
Yeah, I'll, I'll tell you what. I mean, that's if they do that and one of those guys doesn't turn it around, that that'll be the quickest way to get fired. Um, I, for me personally, with Hackenberg, um, I, I, I see. I don't see any problem. I don't see any reason why not keep him around because of, you know, when you look at age, price tag, potential, you're not giving up much by keeping him around. At, at least through camp and see how he looks. Um, my concern is that when he did get on the field. Um, I, I don't know that I've ever seen a quarterback with, with worse pocket awareness um, and a guy who just, I mean, I, I, his rookie year, I had a chance to, uh, I was in the Philly area, I went out when they played the Eagles and he got a ton of reps, and I, 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 I was beside myself. I thought, I, I know there's been talk of his having issues, but I'd never seen an NFL quarterback that was just, everything was a bounce pass. So we'll, we'll, we'll see what they do there. I know I did hear that Hackenberg is working with another QB guru and his mechanics are looking much better and all that. That's all fine and good. But uh, there, will, there, will be a, there will be riots in the streets if, uh, if there's not a quarterback at, at, you know, in the first round and, and the Jets tell us it's because they believe in Christian Hackenberg. Whether or not he turns out to be anything, obviously we won't know that for some time. But I think uh, I, I'm about 99% done with him and, and – Everyone I know is is completely done with him. But at the same time, you know, when I say to people, I, I it's a long time ago, but I remember a lot of Giants fans after two or three years of Eli Manning and his 55% completion percentage, saying, you know, we got we got uh, sold a bill of goods on this guy. He can't he can't complete a screen pass. Which, if you go back and watch his old games, that was an issue with him. So, what happens with Hack remains to be seen. If they hang their jobs on him, um, I think they know they'll be gone if he doesn't succeed. So we'll see what happens there. But if they don't, it, let, let's say hypothetically the Jets sit at six, the top four guys on their board are gone by, six, by the time six rolls around. If they're going to take that second, third-round guy um, and someone that I'm sure you knew I was going to mention with you tonight, you mentioned him earlier, uh, Mike White. I, I first heard of him through you you know, when, during the preseason when you said, here's my pick to, to shock the world and, and make it to the first round. As we both know, he had a very slow start to the season with a new offense, new offensive coordinator. And then he just, from that point on, from about week five or six, he was good for three to five touchdowns every week. He was arguably the best uh, quarterback of the Senior Bowl, um, you know, in live action, and uh, supposedly impressed a lot of the combine. I, I know I've, I've seen some people with some bizarre. I've, see, I've still seen people saying he's sixth rounder which or fifth rounder, which I just I don't see. I don't think he lasts beyond round three, and even if he went that far, it would shock me. So Mike White and a couple, couple of other guys that maybe, maybe second, third round options for the Jets if they don't go with one in the first round, who would you look at? Yeah, I would say first off, if the Jets don't go quarterback in round one, they're probably not going to take one till late day three. Because um, they don't need one of the first four or five picks. Then they're saying to themselves, hey, we're going to win with Bridgewater. And they're not, again, they're not in the, in the mindset of their front office or coaching staff to – develop a quarterback they just don't have the time to do that anymore so um, that being said uh, Mike White did not end up being a first round pick this year I'll take the loss on that one um, a lot of reasons behind that um, and again I'm, I'm a big fan of no excuses we see a lot of excuses being made for Lamar Jackson and Josh Allen this, this draft cycle and I'm, I'm team no excuses but uh, I still think Mike White's a really talented passer I think his upside is Jared Goff um, and what Jared Goff was this year. I think they're very, very similar quarterbacks, same weaknesses, same strengths, and same desire to make an offense. They'll be successful. So you know, I think Mike White could be an answer for division rivals for the Buffalo – or probably for the New York Giants, um, New York Jets, with Buffalo Bills, who like Mike White a lot. 
and if they don't trade up for a quarterback and they miss on their top guy, maybe they sign a free agent and, you know, take Mike White in round three, very possible. Um, the Miami Dolphins, uh, where Mike White's from, like him very much, and they will not take a quarterback in round one. I'll be shocked if they do. But they're looking at a quarterback at some point in this draft class. I like Mike White a lot. So I think for Jets fans, if you want to find out about Mike White, who I will say, there are many, many people in the league, uh, really respected scouts, uh, one of which was outside the NFL to start the year and has recently gotten a job inside the NFL, uh, agree with our evaluation of Mike White. And, you know, just because I've been hounding him up, I, I don't know who Mike White's agent is. Um, I, I talked to Mike a little bit just because he's seen me talk about him on Twitter and we've engaged since then. But I, I think this kid's going to be really impressive, and I'm not alone in that. So I think for Jets fans, it's more about, hey, check out Mike White because he could be the quarterback you're frustrated you didn't take on day two of the draft because of your front office, and he's playing against you in Buffalo in a playoff game or in Miami the second time of the season with a playoff job on the line. So uh, Mike White's a heck of a quarterback. But, again, I'm not sure the Jets take a quarterback in. If not round one, they probably won't take one until maybe a flyer on late day three of the draft like Nathan Peeman for the Bills a year ago. Gotcha. And, look, if, if my, even if Mike White goes – you say he goes round two or three, hypothetically – that's that's still a hell of a call on your part because this is a guy that it, I, I hadn't seen seen his name anywhere. I didn't see him on any radars. I didn't see anybody talking about him. Um, you you know you you uh, stuck your neck out, said first rounder, which I enjoy that. I enjoy that from the analyst. Uh, you know I, I look at the back and forth between the uh, you know guys like yourself and Matt Miller and you know the Kuipers and McShays of the world don't seem to interact as much as the you know they're kind of up on their up on their pedestal. But uh, I do see you guys interact with fans, and fans love to jump on on the draft experts and and criticize their picks. And I just kind of look at it and go, you know, where's where's your body of work? Where's where's the drafts that you put out there for years that people can pick apart and and kind of say you missed on this guy? I mean, NFL GMs that have been doing this job for thirty years miss on guys. Um, and to me, Mike White, if he goes in round two or three, that's you know whether or not that's a miss, that's a that's a hell of a call because this is a guy that wasn't on any, any radar. And I know, uh, I know with Mahomes last year was a similar situation where he wasn't really getting a lot of love, and, and you kind of came out and said, look, this guy's going to be a first-round pick this year. Yeah. Um, and yeah. lo and behold, he climbed. climbed. Yeah. Yeah, no, there, I mean, there you go. I mean, I, I'll, I'll just, I'm sorry to cut you off on that, but with Mike White this year, I was like, hey, man, two years ago, you know, we did a good job, I think, and, and we identified Paxton Lynch, four teams in the media early on, and, you know, I said I didn't get a lot of credit for that, which is okay. I'm not into the credit, but I noticed that. So then last year I said, Pat Mahomes, he's the best quarterback in this draft. I said it all year long, and then whatever else, still didn't get enough. So I told myself, I said, hey, I'm going to tweet about Mike White every week of the year if I have to. So I'm the Mike White guy. So I wish he had a better year because I look a little smarter right now. But you know, that's, <laughs> that's the nature of the media business now is to say, pick, pick a guy and let the world know repeatedly that he's your guy. And if he hits, then you look like a genius. And if not, then you eat crow on, on Jets Nation Radio. <laughs> Yeah. Hey, and and that's the thing. I, I think it's a you know to to take a guy no one's talking about, um, and and I even saw Mitch. You know when he got off to that slow start, I think I, I had a quick exchange with you on Twitter, and you said you know you kind of said I I think he can still position himself to be a second or third round guy, and uh, and then I I interacted with someone else. I forget who it was, another evaluator, and he just said yeah he's a sixth or seventh rounder, and I thought no nah, I just I don't see that I don't you know I'm from what I was you know. Yeah, well, that's, having moved to the UK now, I don't get to watch as much college football as I did when I was in the states. So I kind of I didn't get to see as much of him as I would have liked. But uh, from what I saw of him week to week, you know, you saw the improvement and you you saw some tools that were there that uh, 
I was I was really excited, to, you know, when the Senior Bowl came. I thought he was a guy that had a lot to gain if he went out and impressed, and he certainly did that. So, um, so yeah, you know, a lot of quarterback talk. I appreciate that. But uh, let's, you know, if you can, you know, hang for a few more minutes. Just wanted to ask, you know, one one big question that Jets fans have right now um, is that with with bringing in a new offensive coordinator, a new offensive scheme, there's the the overwhelming, you know, the thought process or the expectation is that this team is going to be is going to rely heavily on a zone offense, uh, a lot of zone blocking, which is concerning because you have a guy in James Carpenter at left guard who struggled mightily this year. I mean, looked great his first two years where it was more of a power run scheme. Now they're going zone. He struggled. Um, I'm not really sure Brian Winters is built for it. He was bad this year, but, you know, we learned he had a torn abdominal muscle from in week two that he played with, so that obviously impacted him. But who, who are some of the better, you know, if you had to pick three or four interior guys um, to pick, you know, in round two or three, who could be really good zone blockers on the inside? Who who comes to mind for you? Yeah, I think I think the Jets. You know, one of the one of the things that the Browns have done, and what a lot of teams have done, is to say you've got to, you know, plan for a quarterback without having a quarterback. And if the Jets are taking a quarterback or not, they've got to protect that guy. And, and the NFL realized, hey, offensive linemen are more important than receivers in today's NFL. And I think the average fan doesn't always see that, um, but we're seeing in free agency. How much offensive guards you going to take compared to receivers? We're we're seeing that rise a lot. And I've been saying this a lot, maybe not as much on social media, but but you know NFL teams see it. Offensive line play is down around the league, and it's a good offensive line class coupled with the need around the league means all these guys are being drafted really early. Um, you know GMs know that offensive linemen are hard to find, so I think for the Jets it's essential that they find an offensive tackle, offensive guard. You know at least one on day two of the draft, and that may be a reason why they say, hey, you know what? If it costs three twenty eighteen picks to get a quarterback, maybe we should better off investing in more offensive line help elsewhere. So it's a real possibility for the Jets to do that. I think looking at day two offensive linemen, especially on the interior, I don't think Will Hernandez is the best zone blocker, but I think he's a guy who's so powerful in the short area that he can fit in multiple offenses. And Will Hernandez of UTEP may be there early round two. I think he's a round one pick, but if the Jets like this guy a lot, they can move him around one to get him. But he comes to mind as a guy that's a great fit for what the Jets need in an offense that wants to run more zone, but it's still going to have some more diverse concepts in this new offense together. He comes to mind immediately. I think adding a center, uh, Mason Cole would be a great fit. He's a guy that can fit really easily in that offense. He may be more of a round three kind of guy, but play tackle, play center, can play both spots in that Jets offensive line, really important. And then Frank Ragnow of Arkansas would be a phenomenal fit. Uh, I'm not sure if he's worthy of a pick in the early round two area. I think he's more of a, you know, back end round two, early round three guy. But, again, for the Jets, who need as many plug-and-play starters in the offensive line as possible, Frank Ragnar comes to mind as a great fit, too. So there is plenty of interior offensive line help, one of the strongest interior offensive line spots um, in recent draft history. I think they'll get one of those one of those two or three guys um, early in round two if they want one. Yeah, I know for me personally, uh, the name you mentioned that really jumps out, I mean, Hernandez, uh, he, he looked so impressive at the senior bowl um, from what I was able to see, in, you know, in drills. And, you know, he came out of there, everyone's saying, has, you know, established himself as a late first-round, early second-round guy. Um, Frank Ragnow as well. Um, just seems he's got that mentality, that, that high-motor um, guy that just just beat up, you know, beat you up for four quarters, just line him up against, uh, you know, the guy across from him. He's going he's gonna to fight the whole – it's going to be a long day for that guy. So um, whether or not the Jets – you know, they did sign Spencer Long, probably uh, 
probably, you know, he'll be the starter, but I could still see them going with a center. Or, you know, even if you take a guy who you feel you can move to guard, if he's got some experience at center, um, they do have to make some moves on the interior. They may go into next year with James Carpenter, and if they do, that's I think it's a bit of a risk. But uh, just one more question before I let you go. Um, and, again, thanks for joining us. Really appreciate it. Um, a player that he jumped out to me when I saw him, uh, I watched a little bit of uh, – caught him in a couple of highlights early in the year, kept an eye on him, and really was intrigued to see how he did at the Combine. And he just blew the roof off the place. Um, Mike Kosicki, Penn State tight end. What do you think of this guy, and where do you think he goes? Because I'm, I'm as much as I've stressed this offseason, the Jets need to address premium positions – I would not be upset if this guy ended up a Jet with a second-round pick. Yeah, I, I think with Jasicki, he ends up being a great case study, not to go you know, too off, off here a little bit. But um, you know, we saw in the late 90s, early 2000s, teams still valuing two tight ends and or a fullback in the offense. And they value guys who can be both pass catchers and pass blockers and run blockers at tight end. Every tight end in the league pretty much besides even Tony Gonzalez was adequate at it compared to current tight ends. All those guys had to do that. That's what made them specialist players. And they were really good tight ends, and you could block and pass block and catch. That's made those guys unique. And then in the mid-2000s, we saw a lot more guys like Jasicki who were athletes, who were matchup nightmares, as everyone started to call them, and guys you could move around yep. the offense and were more dynamic. Antonio Gates. More than, right, more than, more than actual true tight ends in the past. And now what we're seeing and talking to you know, people throughout the NFL is this rise in hurry-up offense, right? I think about uh, – a fourth of the team two years ago, a fourth of the teams in the league two years ago, when I think a little less than that this past year, uh, ran at least 10% of no huddle in their in their offense. That's going to keep rising. NFL teams want to run more no huddle. It's going to keep coming more and more throughout the game. What that means in terms of how the teams are going to build their rosters is you've got to have guys who you can run out multiple personnel with the same personnel. You've got to be able to have a guy right. play receiver and running back. You've got to have a guy who can play tight end and receiver field. and do so adequately. So if in, today's, in, in the future NFL, Mike Jasicki is really just a receiver in a no-huddle offense because he can't really block. So I bring that up because he is a dynamic athlete who was, I think, not even at his best utilized in the Penn State offense with Trace McSorley. But he's a talented pass catcher. He's a talented athlete who certainly showed up at the combine. But I think for the Jets, they've got to find more guys that can make the most of their personnel. And Finding playmakers is one thing, but they got lucky and found playmakers and guys like Robbie Anderson a year ago. You can find creative athletes wherever in the draft, but in my opinion, and I'm sure the Jets will too as a team wants to win right now, is that having athletes and having playmakers doesn't always mean you're able to make plays with those guys on the field. It's much more fun and Madden to have Mike Jasicki than when your team is down 21-10 to 10 at the start of the second half and you've got to both run the, get, run the ball and to the pass game and when Mike Jasicki's on the field, you can't really do anything in the run game. And that's, that's kind of where I think Jasicki may have some hurdles. And, and Jasicki's going to be a, a player, tight end in this draft class, who some teams are going to value really highly because they trust their number two tight end or trust their offensive line enough. They don't need a blocking tight end. They have that luxury. I think most teams in the NFL anymore are saying, hey, if you can't block at all, which Jasicki really can't, then we can't take you early in the draft because we can't use you on at least 15 20% of our plays. So I think if the Jets, it's – it's easy to get excited about guys like that, but the Jets need to get lucky on playmakers and more so find guys who can fit multiple personnel, fit multiple systems, because the offense is totally new, and you can't expect this offense to be super creative in year one. They've got to find ways to manufacture points and trust their defense. Yeah, and you know, that, that's a great point. That, that's why uh, 
what you're saying about you know these multi-dimensional guys. When Joe and I talk about, it, I say that's why last year um, my least favorite pick of the Jets draft was Jordan Leggett because I, I I always want that multi-dimensional guy who doesn't have to come off the field. Um, but some of the circus catches I saw Jacecki make, I just thought, man, even in the red zone as a contributor early on, um, yeah, some of the things he can do are, are amazing. But that you know, last year I liked uh, Kittle was Iowa. Iowa. Um, um, then I think he went to San Francisco. Like I wanted a guy like that who can stay on the field. But um, really, I, I know I said last question, but you talking about the versatility reminded me of one player, uh, another interesting right. guy, and then I'll let you go right after this. Um, Naheem Hines from NC State did a lot of different yeah. things there. Uh, where do you see him fitting in in the pros? And, you know, he, is a t- he can play halfback. He can play H-back. You can move him around a little bit. Yeah, tremendously productive at NC State. And, you know, I think it's always telling um, when – an offense is, isn't able to use a talent like Jalen Samuels because they're one of the other playmakers is just dominating the ball because he's so good. And that's what Naheem Hines did. And Jalen Samuels is going to be a top three-round pick as a running back. And he was a backup to Naheem Hines because Hines is so talented. And I think Hines is a little bit different because he is remarkably explosive, as we saw at the NFL Combine, which I believe was a 4-2-8 or 4-2-9 in the 40-yard dash. And that's not surprising at all in terms of what he showed on film. So I think his value is going to be a little less for pass-catching version of Gio Bernard, although he's still very capable in that area, but a more explosive version of him. And I wouldn't be surprised at all wherever he lands, Hines, and probably going to go someplace late round two, early round three, if he ends up someplace and contends for rookie of the year. Uh, it's a great running back class, Saquon Barkley, Darius Geis, Ronald Jones, but in the right situation where Hines is able to get the ball in space, to make plays similar to how they, the Chiefs use Tyree Kill in the running game, as well as giving him 15, 20 touches a game in the running and pass catcher. Hines, I think, is a dark horse rookie year, depending on his spot. And he's going to go early in day two of the draft because explosive talent like him, high-character kid like him, always been productive, never been hurt. That stuff's hard to find a running back talent who's only got about, I think, 300-some touches uh, in his college career, so he's still pretty fresh. So all the boxes check off for Naheem Hines. And you know, I think if the Jets, again, they, they seem okay at running back now with Isaiah Crowell, but – He's a luxury pick that, hey, if he's there early round three, you just take him and you figure it out later because he's that kind of playmaker that you can adapt to in your offense. Yeah, and that, like I said, once you started talking about uh, guys who could do a lot of things, he's the first one that comes to mind for me in this draft. So, Eric Alco, Optimum Scouting, thank you so much again for joining us. Jets fans, uh, draft fans, draft, draft gurus, keep your eye out for the, uh, for the draft guide that Eric and Optimum Scouting will be putting out in the near future. We will tweet that link out when it comes out. I know I can't wait to get my hands on mine. Uh, wish you much luck in the future, Eric, and ho- hopefully try to have you on after the draft or at least again this time next year, all right? Looking forward to it, man. Thanks. All right, take care. All right, so that was Eric Alco from Optimum Scouting. We're going to head uh, head right back to the phones. We do have another caller. Um, Let's see, we've got uh, calling in from 407 area code. We, uh, in case those of you hadn't noticed, once we went to our video format, which is our preferred method, we, uh, we no longer had a call screener. So when we do this, when I'm flying solo, I'm just going to bring people on and uh, let you guys know where they're coming from. And this is area code 407. Are you with me? Yes, sir. Glenn, how you doing? It's Rich. Hey, how you doing, Rich? Thanks for calling in. Hey, yeah, um, well, I figured I'd call in or whatever because I went on a on a rant uh, on the forum or via tweet or whatever because I, I, I'm I going to come from a fan's perspective because I know you had a guy that's pretty much 
knows everything that's going on over there as far as players and and how they they draft and free agency and all that stuff. But you know, as far as the fans is concerned or whatever, we're we're pretty much concerned about you're having all this money, you have all these draft picks or whatever, and then you you're just sitting there waiting for things to happen, and then finally things do happen. And the Jets move on. I, although I'm, I'm really happy with what McCann has done. I'm, I'm always been a defender of Mac. Sometimes I'm to be judgmental about the way he goes about doing things or whatever. However, you know that being said, uh, I think everything that he's done is fairly fair. He's got young, young, young folks that are coming in and see how they pan out. And I, I, I kind of like the question that I, I wanted to bring up or whatever is. When free agency opens up or whatever, you have all these great players, you know, you can name the Cousins and the Dominican Sue and all these high-priced players and all these great players over there, you know, on paper seem, you know, fairly good that you may want to bring them in or whatever. But how does that come into play when a general manager is looking at it and say, wait a minute, this guy doesn't fit our scheme or what we're looking at as far as, the, what the coach is doing and versus what the GM and the coach are thinking about bringing into the to the to the team, and I guess maybe that's that's what I'm what I'm asking. Well, you're asking in terms of how how the coach and the GM decide, you know, when, when they're when they're racking and stacking their uh, their free agents, how the are, right. are you asking who determines? Right. Well, yeah, yeah, exactly. Who do they target to bring in for the scheme or Because we, like I said, as a fan, you're looking at. Hey, we want Adamic Sue. We like he's a great player, yada da, you know, by name or fame or whatever. And but he right. may not even fit the scheme. You know, or the quarterback. He may not even fit the scheme or he may not be a uh, West Coast offense type of quarterback or whatever, and you're gonna bring this guy in who may be a pocket passer or whatever and you know, he's not the kind of guy that, that, that you you know so basically is as a fan, basically, I, and I follow the form, I follow the free agency. What you guys are reporting is great. It's awesome. This is, I mean, I go to you guys for all the updates for the Jets because I'm, I'm constantly on the road. I'm an airline pilot, obviously, and, and I'm constantly on the road. So as soon as I get, I, I land or I'm able to get on Twitter or whatever, figure out what the Jets are doing and figuring out. So basically, what I'm asking is, is the, the the folks that they're bringing in or whatever, are they mainly targeting the folks that are going to fit the scheme that they're looking at doing? Yeah, I mean, it, basically, I mean, every, every organization has like a, a college personnel guy and a pro personnel guy. Your pro personnel guy, is basically his job is to sit down and look at everybody who's coming up. You know, during the season, his job is to look at every player that's going to be a free agent in the upcoming off season, and 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 guys who will be potential free agents, guys who may be cap casualties, things like that. And they're going to rank every single guy from, you know, one to whatever, however many guys they view as, you know, possibly or potentially being available. Um, once they once they put that list together, it's, it's not going to be any different than a draft. If they're going to go through and say, you know, here's a, here's a guy who's a, a great speed rusher off the edge in a 4-3 defense, but we don't feel like he can cover if we move him to linebacker and we're running a 3-4, or running a 3-4 frequently enough that we wouldn't be able to use him as much for what he's going to want price-wise, you're going to take that guy off your list. You know, you're not, if, if you're going to run a 4-3 defense the majority of the time, you're not going to want a 360-pound nose tackle. Um, you know, that, that you're going to reserve that for teams that want to want those guys in the middle to clog up a defense. If you're going to, you know, if you're, going to, if you're Todd Bowles or Rex Ryan, you're going to look at cornerbacks who, you know, who have those strong press man cover skills 
because you're going to ask them to do a lot if you're going to be aggressive up front and you're going to leave your secondary vulnerable if you have a guy, if you have guys back there who can't cover man to man. One name I've seen mentioned a few times today, and I'm not going to lie and pretend I've seen much of him. Um, not a big fan of when, uh, you know, uh, when you when you get someone who they kind of try to come across as if they've watched every single guy in the league play every single snap. Um, but EJ Gaines is a name. You know, you, you look at the, you look at the whether it's NFL.com or Bleacher Report, whatever site with their free agent rankings, they say EJ Gaines is you know he's one of the top corners on the market. Um, so you think, oh, is this guy fit with the Jets? You know, so you look and you know I look at his college scouting reports. I look at what other teams are saying, what other sites are saying, and EJ Gaines is you know widely viewed as his own cover guy. So you're like, all right, well, he may be a great player, maybe a great corner, may have played really well in Buffalo, but he's not a guy you want to bring in if he's his own guy because you know Todd Bowles is going to run a man-heavy scheme. So it's just a matter of going through whether it's character concerns, and that's another another thing that I think gets way overlooked. And whether it's the draft, and I'm actually great, glad you brought this up because even though it's a draft, this is a, 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 a note on a draft incident. Same type of thing goes on in the pros. I mean, there there's things that go on behind the scenes with these guys that we have no idea about. But the league is small, and teams talk. If you have a guy who's a major head case, it's going gonna, it's gonna to get out there, and teams are going to know it. The media may not know it, but when teams are at the combine and when they're at whatever events, they have conversations. You know, whether or not the, the you know, if, if you're Bill Belichick, well, let's face it, Bill Belichick probably doesn't talk to anybody. If you're Todd Bowles <laughs> and you're at the combine and you're just, you know, sitting down having a chat with Adam Gase, you know, you, you may mention that you know of, you know, player X who's, you know, got some off-field issues that aren't known in the media, but they're there. Maybe maybe it's a guy that, you know, Gase or another team would be considering, but they hear that from enough sources and they go, you know what, Let's, this isn't a guy we're interested in. Or this isn't a guy we're interested in that price because, of, you know, the, the, the risk that comes with, with signing him. Um, and that's why guys don't get signed sometimes. Sometimes you look at a guy and, you're, you know, as a fan, all you know is what you see on Sundays and what you – you know, you look at his PFF grade, and you're screaming, why aren't we signing this guy? And it's like, well, you don't know that he's been, you know, he's had some, some drinking issues or some, some drug issues. Uh, you know, just because a guy isn't getting popped for using drugs doesn't mean he's not using drugs. There are times during the year where the NFL doesn't drug test, where guys are, you know, guys can basically use and get away with it as long as it's out of their system by the time the, the drug testing window opens up again. So if that stuff's going on, that, that, that it's going to get around. And I don't know if you saw this. I thought this was a really interesting note. And, it, again, it, it kind of gives you an idea of what I'm talking about, even though it's the draft. Um, for years now, we've heard Jets fans, and myself included, um, they complain that, you know, can't believe we drafted Stephen Hill over Alshon Jeffrey. Because um, Alshon Jeffrey is now this phenomenal wide receiver. Um, and he was on the board at the same time Stephen Hill was. And the Jets drafted Stephen Hill, who was a bust, and they missed out on Jeffrey, who was there for the taking, had similar, you know, similar skill set, similar measurables. And it was Rich Tamini from ESPN New York putting an article the other day, didn't get into details as to why, of course, but said, uh, and it was just a random note in an article, that when the Jets met with Alshon Jeffrey at the Combine for their, you know, they, they basically have rooms set up for each team, and a player will go up into the room, and he'll meet with the coaches and the and the uh, the, the GM and, and position coaches, and they'll go over film review. They'll do whiteboard work. They'll do film work. Um, and whatever happened in there, it went so badly um, that the Jets asked him to leave early. And that that's all he said. He didn't – I mean, when you word it like that, it, I get the impression, 
it was a conduct behavior thing where it said that the and that's also mean he said the interview went so poorly the Jets asked him to leave early um so something went on in that room where he was unprofessional enough or he just, just let's just say he performed poorly enough that the Jets didn't even want to finish their interview that's how bad he was and then Stephen mm. Hill on the other hand totally professional showed up wearing a, a three-piece suit like treated it like a business meeting and they thought, all right, this kid gets it. This kid is a mature adult. He's going to be a good professional. And they let that, you know, they, they weighed that heavily. And on draft day, when they had to choose between those two, they said, you know, you're, you're saying we need a receiver. This guy we had to ask to leave the room. The other guy acted like a, like, a, like a grown man. And so that's why they went with Stephen Hill. And it blew up in their faces. But, these, yeah, so it's no different in free agency. There's stuff that goes on behind the scenes. I've had the opportunity, you know, to – to speak with, with some reporters and insiders when I, a couple of years ago when I attended the Combine, and uh, just in casual conversation, but stuff that was passed along that I thought, you know, these are interesting notes about players that aren't out in the public, and I can understand why, but I'm sure teams are aware of this. So it's, does the guy fit? Does the guy have red flags known to the public or not? Um, and, you know, it's, is his price tag worth the additional risk you're taking if he does have those additional flags? Well, I'm, I'm, okay, to my point, you have cases like that, and then you have Safavian Jenkins, who had that mm-hmm. issue, and apparently the Jets took a shot on him, and he do, he does good. He's doing very well. He, had, he's, he has, in my opinion, he has an upside, and it, it feels to me, and again, this is just as a fan, okay, because you guys are more – uh, rehearsed than, than I am or whatever And so I, I would give it up to you guys So you have a guy like Eric Ebron Who just got released by the, by the, by the Lions Then you got Austin Superman Jenkins or whatever Who's been with the team or whatever And so who, who are you going to go after You know Again Mike, Again I, I, I love Mike McCagney or whatever I know that he was brought in here Because he was a great evaluator of talent Okay now we all we all we all blame him for the you know the Hackenberg thing and and I and I have a question about that or whatever because I think I was listening to uh, um, a radio show in New York and Anita Baker I think was doing a show or whatever and she got a hold of a videotape of apparently Hackenberg with this new quarterback guru or whatever and he looks phenomenal and so now I'm waiting to see what what hack can do or whatever as far as let's see what he brings to the table or whatever. But we got McCallum back and then we got and we got this guy coming back over. So again my question is basically is how what how much faith do we as as a fan are gonna give, you know, our a general manager or whatever as far as his ability to evaluate talent and bring in the talent in. To be able to, well, to be able to get to make it's an excellent question. And listen, I'm I'm a big Mike McCagney supporter. Um I I think that the uh you know, and I've said this before, I think that the constant stream, the constant twenty four seven access um to, you know, the, the the league, what's going on in the league and being able to look at the draft and more more in depth than any time before, um, fans and, and and a lot of it is revisionist history. Fans love to sit down and talk about a GM's misses and act as if you know it's it's basically whenever whenever a GM gets a pick right, 
If you don't like the GM, well, he got lucky on that pick. The good picks are lucky. The bad picks were so obvious. How did he not know that guy was going to stink? And it's like, yeah, but what were you saying on draft day? Let's see some – and you, that, that's the great thing about message board forums. Um, you know, I've seen people do it all the time. I can't believe we – you know, can't believe the Jets took this guy. And then you take a peek back to what that person was saying on draft day, and what they were saying is, oh, this is a good fit. This, I, I really like this move. And I understand these are the executives. They should, they're expected to know, to know more than we are. But that doesn't make it an exact science. Um, you know, people, people get on McCagnin, and I mentioned this the other day on Twitter, and people don't want to hear it. But listen, we, we, Mike McCagney gets killed for drafting Bryce Petty in the fourth round and Christian Hackenberg in the second round. And John Elway, if not for the fact that Peyton Manning fell on his lap and won him a Super Bowl, well, let's face it, that was the defense. Um, but Manning still had to – basically he just had, had to not turn the ball yeah, over. He had a, yeah, he had but, a, but, he but the bottom line, when you're talking about drafting quarterbacks, John Elway has been way worse than Mike McCagney. And there's, there isn't anyone who doesn't agree that, that quarterback is the most important position in football. You've got to be able to get a quarterback. And we've got this, this double standard where Mike McCagnin has missed on a fourth rounder and a second rounder, and everyone's acting like he's, he's swung and missed 15 times at quarterback. Meanwhile, John Elway used a, a second-round pick on Brock Osweiler, a first-round pick on Paxton Lynch, and now he just handed Case Keenum, you know, $20, 30000000 million because, you know, even sitting at five in, in this, you know, in what, you know, we just had Eric Alco on. A lot of people have talked about this sort of historically deep football class. And credit to John Elway for realizing it. John Elway sitting there with pick number five in a draft with a bunch of quarterbacks. He, he could even try to trade up to four with the Browns. Probably wouldn't have to give up much to do it. But even he's looking at it and going, I don't know which one. I'm, I, just give me Case Keenum. Give me a guy who I've seen do it. And they may still go with a quarterback which would then just make the, the point even more. He will have drafted two first-round quarterbacks, a second-round quarterback, and, and signed a quarterback to big money. So just in terms of quarterback, picking a, picking a signal caller, always been far worse than McCagnin. And now as far as Hackenberg goes, I don't know if you heard Eric Galco or the whole interview with Eric Galco. We just had him on, and he said that he's spoken to people with the Jets, and Jets fans aren't going to want to hear this, um, that there is still a – uh, well, the Jets haven't given up on Hackenberg yet. How that's possible, I don't know. Um, but, again, that's, as I said, these are the paid evaluators. As a fan, I watched that guy throw a football. I watched that guy struggle to read a coverage. I watched that guy – I watched linebackers and safeties creep up to the line of scrimmage, and they're literally standing eight feet from him, and he has no idea they're there, and he gets completely lit up within, two, within a second of the snap and just never sees it coming, and it happens multiple times. I've never seen a quarterback, preseason or not, I've never seen a quarterback look so unprepared and look so bad in throwing a football. And it's a little bit scary. Um, so you can work on his mechanics all you like, but it, 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 it's mostly that guy's brain that isn't working. Um, and I'm not saying he's a stupid guy. I'm saying when he's on the field, he's, he's not seeing it. He's not seeing what's going on. I, I, Yes, of course it's easier for me sitting up in the stands because I can see everybody from the, you know, you know, just in terms of NFL standards, he's not getting it done. Um, I mean, they've basically hidden this guy, you know, and I, you know, I, I try to be optimistic and say, look, maybe, maybe they're looking at where he is and saying, 
well, he's good enough that we can throw him out on the field, but he's still not good enough to win games, so let's not bother, which I don't really like. If, yeah, if he's good no, enough, yeah. just, just get him out there. Get him some reps. <laughs> All this talk about mental reps yeah. is really is yeah. a bunch of garbage yeah. to me. Get him out yeah. there. No, yeah, there's no substitute for live reps, live action, and they've done everything they can to hide this. Year one, Dude. I was like, okay, I'll live with it. Oh, I didn't mean year one. I, I'm season. sorry, but – yeah, but – I'm sorry, but look, look. I'm sorry, but you know what? The, the kid from the Rams was thrown out there into the fire, and, and he learned, and he moved on, and he progressed or whatever. The kid, the kid from Philly did the same thing. These, I mean, and the kid mm-hmm. from uh, – the kid, the kid from Chicago was the same thing. Trubisky was the every same year, thing. every year, guys. We, we, we threw, every year, yeah, we see you know what I'm saying. You, you we, throw him out, you throw him out there, or whatever. But you're gonna hide this guy and baby him and, and make him grow and all that stuff or whatever, dude. Jer, Jeremy Bates was supposed to be like the guru of all gurus, the quarterback coaches, and now he's our GM. And I'm sorry, dude, you can't fix him. You know what? Let's just let's just move on. Look. I like Teddy Bridgewater. I, I thought I thought Bridgewater was doing a phenomenal, not uh, I, mm-hmm. that's, uh, uh, no, I won't say phenomenal, but he was doing a fairly enough job or whatever that, that he was progressing and doing a pretty good job. Okay, he is Bridgewater or whatever. And we're going to bridge into whoever we draft. We're definitely in the market for a quarterback. We're going to get a quarterback, and and if we don't get a quarterback in, in round one or whatever, I'll be totally disappointed unless they unless they think otherwise. Because I don't even think he's. Can you answer me this question? Whatever, do, do you think that Bridgewater is – I don't even think he's healthy enough to even play. I don't think he, he's even going to participate in OTAs. Well, I don't see why he wouldn't. The Vikings activated him around week nine last season. Um, so he was on the active roster for the second half of yeah, the but year. Then why, why, um, are, why are there reports about that? Well, I mean, why am I seeing reports that he may not be healthy enough to even play? I'm like, really? I think, I think that's people just years. questioning – I, I don't know. I haven't seen that. I think it's people questioning will he ever return to form. Um, oh, okay. That's I mean, fine. ready yeah. to play. Again, he, he got on the field. I think it was week 16 or 17. The Vikings put him out there just to take a couple snaps. I'm kind of a feel-good moment. Hey, we're going to the playoffs anyway. Let's put Teddy on the field. And I know, you know, they kind of said, I think it was out of respect for Bridgewater, they kept saying that, you know, Keenum was on a week-to-week basis and that, you know, Teddy Bridgewater was right on the verge of being put in there. I don't know if that was legitimate because Keenum really was playing great. So I don't think Bridgewater was ever going to, you know, take that job. But, yeah, I mean, listen, if he was active by week 9 or 10 last year, that guy was – he was he's, you know, he, he's dressing on game days for 10 weeks to end the season, nine weeks. So I don't see why he wouldn't be ready. I, I think what you're seeing is people saying, well, first of all, you're probably seeing overly negative fans who – didn't pay very close attention to what happened. They don't even realize he was active last year. And they're saying he may never be able to play again. And you're also seeing media outlets saying, will he be able to play at the same level when he plays? Because we've not seen him extensively. He took a couple of snaps. So that's what remains to be seen. Um, I mentioned that with Eric Galco. You know, will will he be able to move around as well as he did previously? We'll find out. Um, But if he can, if he's even, you know, 80% of what he was, I think he's got a really good I, shot to beat out Josh McCown. I, yeah, I don't want to take. I, don't, I know you, I know you press the time, whatever. I, don't want, I really don't want to hog the time, whatever. But that being said, it goes back to my original question. Remember when I said or whatever, as far as finding guys that could fit your scheme and all that stuff. That I, apparently they signed Teddy Bridgewater, and I don't know if he was assigned because they just wanted to keep the Jeff fans quiet. But do they feel that this is an individual that fits the scheme of Jeremy Bates or what he's trying to put in? Into as far as 
our new uh, uh, the new uh, uh, offense that we, he's trying to put in. Do you feel well, that uh, and that's what can do? That, that's the thing. I think I think we'll see a lot of short, quick throws, which which would you know Teddy Bridge, Teddy Bridgewater would benefit from. He's one of the most accurate passers in the NFL, especially inside of twenty yards. He uh, I I know that what was it two years ago when he his last full season twenty fifteen. Um, number one in the NFL in adjusted completion percentage per PFF. So basically, for anyone who doesn't know what that is, they basically take they take out your throwaways, they take out your you know your spiking the ball to stop the clock. Those ca- those count as pass attempts, um, but they take those out. Anytime you're not actually trying to complete a pass, they take those out and it's your and it's and drops. You know if you hit a guy in the chest and he drops it, they count that as a completion because that's not the quarterback's fault. So when you take away the, the good throws that were dropped and the spikes and the throwaways, um, Teddy Bridgewater completed 79% of his passes in 2015. Um, I believe that was the number. It was somewhere in the 70s. So not the strongest arm, but definitely inadequate. I would say, I would, I would say a stronger arm than what we had when you had Chad Pennington back there um, and just as accurate. And Jets fans love him, and a lot of Jets fans feel like if he never had that shoulder surgery, then you know, the, the multiple injuries, he would have been a better quarterback. Who knows? But Teddy Bridgewater, another high character guy, um, another guy who can't, you know, he doesn't have a cannon, but he can make, you know, he, he's going to he's going to put the ball on a dime, and um, I like the move I, for, for a lot of different reasons. What I don't like is doubling down and bringing McCown in um, because now you have two veterans, and you start to like. There's the part of me that that just says there is no way this team isn't taking a quarterback at six. Like it can't happen. But then that thought kind of creeps in and goes. What if they don't? What if? What? If, I mean, hey, listen. You know what? If you want to, if you want to put your eggs in the Christian Hackenberg basket, then you better have your bags defense, packed before the season starts. If if they go defense round one, dude, I'm gonna lose it. Oh my <laughs> god! Like, come on. Uh, you know what? <laughs> Unless the, is dead, I, I said it before. Like, the on, only way they get away with going defense in round one is if they sign Kirk Cousins. If you sign Kirk Cousins and then you draft Bradley Chubb, I'm fine with that. But yeah. if oh, they, yeah. go de- if, if whatever, they but... draft Minka Fitzpatrick at six, I, oh, yeah. you, may, you yeah. may not ever hear from uh, me yeah. again. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, I hear you, man. I, I hear you. But, uh, but you know, I, I, I really want to I, – I, I just want to take this time to apologize to Jet Nations. I, I got negative. I was frustrated as a fan. I, I just couldn't believe that – this is how, how I felt. I, I felt like John Elway – I'll pivot it, McCagnan or whatever. Now, again, they got, you know, uh, the Denver Broncos got who they got or whatever. But however, and then I, I, after I relaxed and calmed down, I was like, wait a minute, McCagnan was in Texas. He saw this individual firsthand, and maybe he was just like, look, I'm not sold on this guy. I, I saw him in Texas. I don't think he's all that great. And you know what? I'm just going to let the chips fall when they fall, and I'm going to get what I'm going to get. I personally like Bridgewater. I thought he's dead on accurate individual. I like what he's doing, and so we'll see what we'll see what he can do. And you know, he, I'm pretty sure he. I think he could beat out McCown. I mean, seriously, come on, man. McCown is good, but you know, I think he could beat out McCown. Yeah, I mean, um, it, it remains to be seen. You know, and that, and that was another thing I said before free agency started. In, in terms of Case Keenum, it's kind of like if the Jets were if the Jets had signed him, could you really could you legitimately be happy or or upset about it like it would it would have been like a, a I would have had no thoughts on it because well, he okay. did play well, well enough to well, warrant the contract but he did so little before that that you don't know if it was real so 
you're just an idiot to complain that, like, oh, we got this guy, and he said, yeah, but he just played great. But you're also an idiot to say, oh, this guy's great. Like, well, you don't know that. It, it's, a, it's, a, it's a coin toss at this point. So um, I wouldn't have really had strong feelings one way or the other. That's a moot point now. He's gone to Denver. And, uh, and the Jets, it's, you know, McCown and Bridgewater. So, and and well, what better be a first-round pick? I see Bridgewater going against Case Keenum when the Broncos come into town this season. That's, that's, that's what I want to see. I'm actually going to go to attend that game because my brother happens to be a Broncos fan. I don't know. He lives in Jersey. How, how he's a Broncos fan, I don't know. But anyways, <laughs> I, I told him, say, I'll, I, I, you know, I'll buy, I, I told him, say, I'm going to buy you a ticket. I'm going to bring my son up. We'll, we'll, go, we'll go watch the game. And hopefully it'd be Teddy Bridgewater against Keenum or whatever. Uh, uh, one more quick one or whatever. Now, my concern is with somebody, i.e. Buffalo or Carolina, uh, I mean, uh, sorry, the Cardinals, jumping up, ahead, jumping up and beating out the Jets for a quarterback. I, I mean, do you feel like the Jets were willing to say, you know what, this is not going to happen, and we're going to go get our quarterback? Do you feel that the Jets will do that, or do you feel like, you know, that's if you're willing to pay well, the price. Well, I feel like yeah. I feel like it's what they have to do if they want to, you know, if they want to save their uh, if they want to save their jobs. I really to to think that they would not that they would stand pat at six and run the risk of of possibly not getting a quarterback. That I mean, that would just be career suicide, really. If I mean, I'll put it this way: if they were to do that and they go into the season with what they have now. And uh, and they and they bomb as as many people would expect. They those guys should expect to get fired. And if uh, if Christian Hackenberg were to turn it around, which I am not saying he's going to turn it around, <laughs> saying if he were to turn it around, then Mike McAgnan is the smartest man in football because he's the only man in football that believes in that guy. Like I, I don't doubt that if Christian Hackenberg was released tomorrow, I wouldn't be shocked if nobody signed him because I mean that's how bad he looked to me. Um, uh, you know what, somebody would because there's talent there and all these guys have super egos and there's going to be somebody who feels like I can get him to do this. Listen, somebody drafted Tim Tebow in the first round. You know what I mean? The guys look at these flawed mm-hmm. players and say, I'm smart enough to fix this man. Um, so, yeah, somebody would. But either way, yeah, it, I, I'm not even prepared to think about that right now, to be honest. I really enjoyed doing the interview with Eric Galco uh, when he said he knows people with the Jets that said they haven't lost faith in Christian Hackenberg. I, I nearly fell over. I can't. I can't believe that he's being <laughs> considered at this point. But uh, but we'll see what happens. I, 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 a lot yeah. of off season to go. Uh, draft is forty some days away. I still fully expect a, a trade up to no lower than four. Hopefully three. Hopefully uh, hopefully we send pick six and whatever other picks necessary to the Indianapolis Colts and uh, and get whichever quarterback we want at number three. I would like to think too, but I don't think the Giants are going to do a deal with us and have to watch somebody potentially win a Super Bowl that they handed to us. But uh, thanks a lot for the call, Rich. Really appreciate it. No problem. Always I, good I having you on. You. I, 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 I listen to you guys all the time. And, uh, again, uh, you know, it's, uh, all the time is on the podcast because I'm flying most of the time. Uh, you guys are on, so I have to get, you know, secondhand stuff. But then I always try to tweet you guys after I listen to the podcast, say, hey, I heard you say this. And I'm just want to find Yeah, we we appreciate, man. I see you, I see yeah. you on there, and uh, and we always like yeah. interacting with our listeners. Thanks a lot. Hey, thank you, sir. Appreciate it. All right, take care. Bye bye. All right, quite a few topics covered there, and uh, of course, 
as you heard earlier, the interview with Eric Galco. Uh, man, Christian Hackenberg. The Jets haven't given up on Christian Hackenberg because because he's working with a QB guru. And, the, the, you know, this isn't Eric, uh, Eric saying that isn't the first I've heard of it. I did see that earlier in the week or maybe it was two weeks ago, and I just shook my head and thought this, this can't be real. They, this can't be a thing where they think this, this kid is going to be fixed. And let's face it, it's to say it now, like the season ended it. Feels like the season ended ten minutes ago. I guess it has been a couple months, hasn't it? But even still, to think they've gotten him from where he was to being a functional quarterback in a couple months—hard to believe. But listen, I've said it before. I try not to—I uh, try not to write guys off too quickly because we've seen guys turn it around. It's rare, but it happens. But I—I'll just say this: if Christian Hackenberg turns it around, it will be the most surprising turnaround I've ever seen in my life as a fan. Never seen a guy look as bad as Christian Hackenberg has. And if he turns it around, I will be the happiest man in the world, but uh, I will also be the most surprised person in the world because, my goodness, that's, uh, he's been some kind of bad. But, uh, so we've covered, we've covered some of the new signings. Let's change gears a little bit and talk about some, uh, some, some players that are going to be returning that the Jets announced earlier today and uh, that were you know, was, uh, announced or uh, the news was broken by a couple different outlets and the Jets posted it to their own site. So, safety, Rontez Miles, uh, you know, backup safety, box safety, special team stud, uh, a guy that I've I've said it before on this show, you watch that guy um, between plays, whether he's on the sideline, whether he's on the field, um, you're going to have a hard time finding somebody more fired up than he is. That guy just gets after it. I love the idea of having him, you know, guys like him in a locker room. The Jets – they get a first right of refusal on Rontez Miles. They tendered him at $1.9 million, and it's the same for Brent Quale. The uh, offensive tackle has played a little bit of guard. He's an uh, exclusive rights free agent as well. They placed a second-round tender on Quincy Inunua. I think a lot of us saw that coming, even though his future is kind of up in the air. Um, played with that bulging disc in the preseason. Had that scary incident at the uh, MetLife uh the, the green-white scrimmage where he collapsed to the ground and basically had have, you know was done for the year at that point, had to have surgery. His future is still up in the air, but, you know, that guy is yeah, – that, that guy, he has the ability to be special. So the Jets had to at least put it, at least a second-round tender on him, which I thought they would, and they did. Uh, Neil Sterling, tight end, guy we didn't see much of during the year. He uh, stood out in the final, se- final game of the season when Austin Safarian Jenkins was out. Sterling went in and had himself a big game, a couple big catches. Uh, I want to say he finished with somewhere 80-some yards. Um, don't have the numbers in front of me, but either way, he gets an original round tender. Basically, if somebody somebody tries to grab him, Jets will probably get you know sixth, seventh round pick. Uh, some exclusive rights free agents that were re-signed. These were guys that weren't going to go anywhere. Uh, it was up to the Jets to determine whether or not they wanted them, wanted them to become free agents. Safety Doug Middleton. You know, that's a guy that. A lot of fans remember him from a couple seasons ago. He looked really good as a rookie, and he uh, got some run late in the year. And a lot of us kind of thought he was gonna he was gonna sneak in as that backup, you know, free safety this year, but was injured, placed on IR. Lawrence Thomas, the converted D lineman from Michigan State, who moved from the D line to fullback. It was a nice story. He made some uh, some pretty impressive plays, catch and run. Of course, he played some fullback in college, so it was a more of a natural transition. I'll tell you what, man, if he can get his feet under him there and, and, and settle in at the pro level, <clears throat> I love the idea of a 
275, 280-pound fullback who can catch passes out of the backfield, you know, opening holes for the running back. Whether or not that transition continues, we'll see. Eric Tomlinson, tight end, another re-signed exclusive rights guy. And, you know, he's a guy that he uh, had a couple big catches last year, and he's, you know, the, he's a guy I think they can afford to try to get more involved in the offense. He's not a game-breaker, not a dynamic guy, but he can do enough to just to keep defenses honest, to give you another option, another another person for uh, DBs to think about. And as I talked about earlier, I've always been a fan of kind of going after these tight ends that don't have to come off the field when it's a running play because they can't block. He's, he is the best blocking tight end on the team. So if they can get him in a role where he's more involved in catching the ball, he uh, he becomes a much more important part of this this roster. <coughs> Pardon me. Terrence Brooks, another safety. He was acquired from the Philadelphia Eagles for Dexter McDougal this preseason and uh, had a couple, you know, stood out a couple games, nothing uh, – Nothing too crazy. I believe he had a two-interception game at one point. Didn't hear a whole lot from him after that. Special teams contributor, safety. He signs a two-year extension with the Jets. Uh, Again, good depth guy. And also saw earlier, not not surprising at all, and something I've kind of talked about a lot during the uh, as the season was winding down. I think I've mentioned it a couple times since then. David Bass, the Jets won him back. I want that dude back. That guy. Uh, underrated player went under the you know his play went unrecognized. He uh, he did a lot of things well. He was one of your jack of all trades guys. Not not a not a huge thumping linebacker, but held up against the run far better than I expected. Um, after reading scouting reports on him and looking at his bio, I thought he'd get pushed around a little bit. But that guy he stood up well against the run and uh, picked himself up a few sacks, a few pressures, and uh, just looked like a really good player. So the Jets are reportedly interested in bringing him back. I think that would be a really good move on their part. Some depth on that uh, outside linebacker. And uh, one story that's uh, getting some legs, I am actually just popped on a Twitter a minute ago to see if there have been any updates while, uh, while we've been doing the show. And I haven't seen anything. No, nothing, nothing new. But uh, Tyron Matthew. So Tyron Matthew, otherwise known as the Honey Badger, uh, really solid play. I mean, it's better than solid. Very good playmaking safety, uh, safety slot corner, former uh, former first round pick. Or uh, did he? Try, he may have fallen. He had some off field stuff. He was viewed as a first round talent. Um, let's put it that way. I don't have it. I don't have it at my fingertips. But uh, playmaker guy. He uh, one of the best slot guys in the game. I want to say that I saw. I, I looked at the numbers earlier. Um, one of the top-rated slot corners in the NFL by PFF, and now this is keeping in mind that the Jets' slot corners are just not very good. The Jets, there's no one on the Jets' roster that you look at as a quality slot corner. Joe and I have talked about this at length. The number of times I hear people say that, oh, we got to get Buster Screen back on the slot where he's good. He's not good there. He just isn't. Um, he he gave up, I want to say, over 60% of passes that were thrown his way in the slot were completed. He and, and it's it's part of the reason why the Jets have such a hard time getting off the field on third down. Uh, the number of times we see teams convert on third and six, third and seven, and it's normally either a, a tight end in the seam or a slot receiver that it, that their slot or safety guy safety can't cover. You go get Tyron Matthew now. Granted, there's going to be a hefty price tag attached to that, but as we've said before, you know the Jets, this is the year to do it for the Jets. They have the money. They don't have any big contracts coming up. You can front-load a deal with him, get him on board. 
I saw that uh, Jamal Adams, uh, another former LSU Tiger, was on Twitter recruiting him about 10 days ago and now kind of full-court pressing it, and he's tweeted out that he's going he's gonna to give Tyron Matthew a call. There's apparently some history there with Todd Bowles, not just as a coordinator. Matthew's dated or is uh, somehow involved with uh, uh, daughter-in-law or stepdaughter, something along those lines. I'm not, not, re- not really overly concerned with the personal lives, uh, you know, in that sense. So whatever it may be, there is a connection there. Uh, that doesn't guarantee a damn thing. For those of you who recall many years ago when uh, the Jets were in dire need also of a safety, uh, and John Lynch hit free agency, and Herman Edwards was the Jets' head coach, and John Lynch is Herman Edwards' son's godfather, and uh, and even that wasn't enough. John Lynch was like, no, no thank you, Herm, I'm going to go to Denver, um, and he went elsewhere. So it doesn't guarantee anything, but there is a relationship there. He did play for him a little bit there, but I'll, you add Tyron Matthew to this, this defensive backfield and go out and get yourself another corner, and all of a sudden – you've got one of the more formidable units in the in the NFL. And you can let Buster Screen go. You Buster Screen, you let him go, you save six, seven million, that goes towards Matthew, and now all of a sudden you've got Tremaine Johnson at one corner. You've got your safeties in Adams and May. You've got uh Matthew covering anybody in the slot and you're just waiting on finding out who that number two is going to be. Who's that number two corner? Now there's still some names out there. Kyle Fuller is one that I've mentioned as a, a possibility. I know there are some others, and some of them may have signed. Again, just in the last couple hours doing the show, I haven't been looking too closely. I know, as you said, EJ Gaines. I mentioned him earlier. He's probably more of a a, a zone guy. Uh, I know there was uh, Traymond Williams. I'm not sure if he signed either. I'm not sure where he's at. And uh, Rashawn Melvin, I mentioned a little bit. He's he's kind of he's got the length. Um, he, the you know he's six foot two big guy, and kind of a, a tier below these elite guys like Kyle Fuller, is my top choice, but I have to be honest the Bears have a lot more cap room than I realized. I thought the Bears were in the high forties in cap room, and then they just spent you know twenty some per year on their the two, their two acquisitions, which would still leave room for Fuller. But if the Jets had made a big offer, you know you, you kind of look at how much cap space that would have left them at if they match it. Did they want to sign more free agents? I thought there was a possibility, but I looked earlier today. It looks like the the Bears went into the offseason with, with about sixty million in cap space. So they just that amount alone, the the amount that I I thought the Jets would be able to use to push them around a little bit, would bring them to you know thirty million. So the Bears have plenty of room to match that. I don't think Kyle Fuller's going anywhere. So that brings you to Rashawn Melvin. Um, do you go on? Do you go and get Rashawn Melvin? Is he a one year wonder? You know, played really well last year. Uh, apparently held uh, quarterback, opposing quarterbacks to a 60.3 rating when thrown into his coverage, was 10th best in the league. So if you're gonna if you're gonna rebuild this secondary and you have the money to do it, if you can go out and get Melvin and Matthew and pair them with with the guys the Jets already have in place with with Johnson, Adams, and May, I'll tell you what this you know this talk of you know, not being able to turn it all around in one off season. I mean, we've seen teams do that, and they do still need to settle the quarterback position. But th- there's no reason with with those additions, you, you shouldn't see this team go from having you know being in the the, the low mid twenties in total defense or points allowed. Um, there's no reason they shouldn't be top ten, because let's face it, that's that's a lot of talent. And for as much time as we uh, 
as, as much time as we've spent talking about Todd Bowles and his reputation. Here's another example of a, a coach who would, you know, be getting an awful lot of his uh, of what he supposedly needs to run his defense. He'd have that 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 nickel safety, uh, you know, nickelback slot safety in, in Matthew. His safeties in May, May and Adams, who he can move all over the place because of their versatility, and a couple of long corners who uh, who've shown they can shut people down. So there's a lot going on. A lot more, you know, a lot more to come. There's still plenty, plenty of money to go out and sign a couple of mid-tier, uh, you know, mid-tier guys, upper-tier guys, and still have money left over. I don't. I, I was working it out earlier. It was before the the total numbers came out on Crowell's deal. Um, I know they have. I haven't looked at them yet. I they, I skimmed past them on my timeline earlier, but I know he's not getting. You know he's not going to be breaking the bank, given his his history and his position. So there should still be plenty of money left over to go out and get some more players. And let's face it, you know the Jets have the opportunity now to to really shape this roster for the coming years. But it's all you know as 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 has been the case for many years now. It's going to come down to the quarterback. It's going to come down to whether or not this team is willing and able to do what it takes to get up to the top three. Again, I, I feel like you have to target Indy. You have to target that number three pick because I just don't see the Giants dealing with the Jets. However, that being said, and I did say this the other day, at this point I'm still beside myself and cannot believe the Giants are willing to pass on a quarterback at two. So that move in itself is so shocking and bizarre to me that maybe they would do something just as shocking and trade that pick to the Jets. But even if they won't, even if it's the Colts, if you can get the three and you can get yourself Josh Rosen or Baker Mayfield, I think you do it. I think you pay what it takes. I think you you make that move. You don't look back. The number six pick carries a lot of weight. If you're the Colts, you know, even you know, I mentioned the Bills that want to, you know, the, the the Bills want to move up. If you're the Colts, do you want to move to six or twelve? Um, you know, the Bills may be a bit of maybe a bit of an exception because they've got. So many draft assets. But if you're really serious about getting a quarterback, Mike McCagden, if you're really serious about getting this team a, a player at that position that can finally settle it for years to come, you, you do what it takes. We're talking four spots, three spots, to move up three spots. If you have to give up the number six and your two twos and your one next year, I say do it. Because you know what? If you get that quarterback, no one's going to give a damn about that one time you didn't have a first-round pick. Think of all the blown first round, even the great first round picks. Would you not give up Leonard Williams for Carson Wentz right now? Would you not give up Jamal Adams for for Jared Goff? These these guys are, you know, Jameis Winston, Marcus Mariota. Would you not give up the you know the best young Jets players? I would. I I think Leonard Williams is a great guy, high high character. I think he's the type of guy you want to build a team around on defense. But none of those guys are as are as important as a franchise quarterback. So if you're going to tell me that in order to move up a couple spots, I'm going to have to give up that extra first, I'd do it in a heartbeat. You know, draft picks are great and they're valuable, but nothing's more valuable than a quarterback. And to give up a couple seconds and a first next year, is that a lot to move up three spots? It sure is. Well, too bad. You want a quarterback, right? Throw the draft value chart out the window because if you're the Colts or the Giants or the Browns, 
and you're sitting there fielding offers, you're just playing people off of each other. Hey, this team just offered us this. What do you, what can you do? Okay, hang on. All right, well, they just beat that. Now what can you do? No one's looking at a draft chart and saying, all right, you know, the draft chart says we need 2,000 points, and you just hit 2,000. It doesn't work that way. They're going to play teams off of each other. Somebody's going to pay an awful lot <clears throat> to move up a few <clears> – pardon me – to move up a few spots. And uh, for once, I hope it's the Jets. Let's get it done. Let's get let's get it right. Tried it a few years ago with uh, the the Mark Sanchez disaster. Let's uh, let's get it right this time, and let's not draft a guy who's got one year of college football under his belt. Let's got a guy with multiple years, with multiple big wins, and uh, who doesn't turn the ball over a ton. So more to come, more to come in free agency. Again, the draft forty some days away. Can't get here soon enough. Let's. Uh, <clears throat> Let's hope these next couple days bring us another corner, maybe some depth on the D-line, and then sit back and wait for for the rest of it to unfold. Thank you so much for joining us. And, again, be sure to keep an eye out for Optimum Scouting, Eric Alco's draft guide. I'm telling you guys, like I said, this is not an advertisement. We're not getting any money from it. It's pretty reasonable. I think it was 15 bucks last year, maybe 20 I forget. Well worth it for draft fans. It's going to help you keep up on hundreds of prospects in depth, as I said, pro-style scouting reports. So thanks so much for joining us. We look forward to getting with you this this time next week. And keep an eye on your Twitter feeds. We're going to try to put together a show for this weekend. It may end up being Joe going solo. It may end up me solo. Depends on whether or not we can line up times. But we will be out there. We will be active. And until then, everybody take care.